Welcome to the house of the Lord. We're honored to have you worship the Lord with us today. If you don't have a church home, we welcome you to check this one out. Uh, there's also another good church home that's starting officially next Sunday. Uh, Pastor Barry Tubbs, are you in here? Okay, could you all stand? This is a nucleus of the leadership of the TV. We are so honored to have you all here today. Amen. Let's just extend our hands towards them and pray blessing. Lord, we thank you for sending people to us from Arkansas to labor in this harvest field. Lord, we pray that you'd meet their needs, that you'd bless Pastor Barry and his wife and their team. And Lord, help them to grow and explode quickly for your glory in Jesus' name. Give them wisdom to move forward with you and courage to do the impossible. Amen. God bless the TV. Anyway, bless you. That's P- Barry, could you just wave? This is Pastor Barry Tubbs. Amen. Praise the Lord. Have you found Romans chapter 8 yet? I'm just going to read some scriptures and then we'll show an introductory video. Verse 16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body, For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts and knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine 
or nakedness or peril or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers nor things present, nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us pray. Father, I pray as a result of hearing this word today that we would know, in spite of what we see, that you love us and you never stop. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in our second session of our series on tough questions, the quest for tough questions that thinking people are asking today. I uh, emailed and Facebooked about 500 friends and contacts asking them to send me their questions. And out of that came a composite list of 40 questions that they voted on, whether it was very important or important or unimportant. Last Sunday, we spoke on the question that came in as most important, and that question was, how do you know the Bible is true? If you were not here, I invite you to order a CD. You just fill out a a request form out there at the table, and we'll be here waiting on you next Sunday. Or you can check it out online at generationschurch.org. Today is question number two, and we'll introduce it with a video. Why does God let bad things happen to good people? This question is often asked by us because of a lack of knowledge on our part from which the Bible has much for us to learn. Addressing this subject biblically is only difficult because of our short time this morning and because of the abundance of things the New Testament has to say about this question. Where do we start? I mean, one is... Why does God allow bad things to happen? That assumes that we're in heaven where his will is being done 24-7. We live in a world where his will is not being done. In this age of itching ears, but his will is ultimately being done. Amen. He is a sovereign God. In this age of itching ears and popularity contests, the truth must be told here this morning without any fear or intimidation. As Jack Nicholson asked in a movie one time that I do not recommend, can you handle the truth? What does the Bible have to say about questions like this? Why does God let bad things happen to good people? Let's tackle this. According to the New Testament, it has no promises. It was saying no promises. 
that say bad things will not happen to us. There's none there. James 5, verse 10 says, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very gracious and merciful. You know, knowing God as the healer does not mean there will never be sickness. Knowing Him as our provider does not mean we'll never have a need. Knowing Him as our comforter does not mean we'll never need comforting. Knowing Him as our Savior does not mean we will never need saving. Knowing the author and finisher of our faith does not mean we'll never have an opportunity to exercise our faith. Knowing our Redeemer is alive does not mean that we will never need redeeming. Job, when he faced his difficulty... He didn't know how redemption was going to come, but he knew the Redeemer lived. Amen. I may not know how the solution is going to come, but I know the Solver lives. Knowing Jesus as the resurrection does not mean that none of us will ever die. The truth is, the Bible acknowledges the reality of death and calls it our enemy that will one day be defeated by Jesus. It's already been defeated by him personally, but one day it'll be be defeated by him by putting it under his feet as our enemy. He's conquered the enemy already. The victory is already in him, amen. But one day we will taste of that victory when he puts an end to the reign of this enemy. His resurrection is an assurance of our own that will occur when he returns. 1 Corinthians 15 says, In Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. As victorious Christians with the eternal perspective, death shouldn't keep us depressed for long when we remember the promise of the resurrection from the dead. The scriptures reveal to us that the way we should view death is that the dead saints are not really dead, but rather asleep awaiting Christ's return while at the same time being absent from their body and being present with the Lord, they are, I think, the phrase that combines those two truths. From this side, we see them as asleep. From heaven's side, they're present with the Lord. Combine those two truths, they're asleep in Jesus. So death is already destroyed. Considered it a done deal. But that does not mean there's not funerals to go to and mourning people to comfort. And death is a bad thing. It does happen. I do not want to minimize the reality of tough stuff. But hold to the truth. Keep the eternal perspective. Hallelujah. The reign of death is coming to an end. According to Jesus, we will have tribulation. Just read what he had to say in Matthew 24 and in Luke 21. There's tough times coming to the world. And the church is still here. We'll be going through this stuff. Amen. Don't tell the saints in Sudan Jesus is coming back before there's any tribulation. 
The pre-tribulation rapture approach should actually be rephrased as the pre-great tribulation approach. He said this, These things I have spoken to you, John 16, 33, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. His victory has already been accomplished And his victory is the first fruits, and ours is coming next. Amen? So in the world, we'll have tough times. There will be struggles. There will be difficulties. It's the world that we live in, and you'll see why according to the Scriptures in just a minute. According to Paul, tribulations can develop strengths. In Romans 5, verse 2, it says, And not only that, we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. John Ortberg Wright wrote this little article. He said, if you could get a script for your child's life and have five minutes to edit it, what would you erase? Would you try to take out all the stuff that would cause them pain and difficulty? He said, we're part of a generation of adults that could be called the helicopter parents because we constantly try to sweep into our children's lives educationally, relationally, and in the sports world. Our town can't have a winning team because we won't leave the coaches alone because mommy and daddy's always got to go in and rescue Junior to make sure no one is disappointing them, no one is mistreating them, no one is disheartening them. We want our children to experience one unobstructed success after another. But the question today is, are we doing them any favors by doing that? One Halloween, John Ortberg said, a woman came to his door to trick-or-treat. Why didn't she send her child? Well, the weather's a little bad, she said. And she was driving, so he didn't have to walk in the mist. Well, why not send him to the door? Well, he had fallen asleep in the car, and she didn't want to wake him up. I felt like saying, well, why don't you eat his candy and get his stomach ache too? That way he can be completely protected and not have danger of cavities. If we could wave a wand and erase every failure, every setback, every amount of suffering and every pain, are you sure it would be a good idea? Would it cause your child to grow up to be a better, stronger, more generous person? Is it possible that in some way people actually need some adversity, maybe even something traumatic to reach the fullest level of their development and growth? A wise parent doesn't spoil their kids. And the Heavenly Father is the same way. Just read Hebrews 12. He disciplines, he brings discipline into our lives. There was an experiment a number of years ago in Arizona called the Biosphere. It was a multi-million dollar miserable failure. Man attempted to enclose an environment and have it be self-sustaining uh, for a set period of time, and it didn't, it didn't make it two or three years. The water became polluted, the people didn't get along, and the trees were becoming useless because there was no wind, could not generate wind. As wind blows against a tree, it's what helps a tree become strong. No pain, no gain. Amen. Any bodybuilders in the house? According to Peter, trials should not be seen as strange things. He wrote in chapter 4 of his first letter, Beloved, do not think it strange 
concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. What is this glory that is revealed? Well, it goes back to the principle of Christ is the first fruits. He's conquered everything. He's overcome every difficulty. And we're coming along behind, living the Christian life, looking forward to our joy that's coming. Hebrews 12 says that for the joy, we are to look to Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. What keeps us going is there's a better day coming, and the story's not over. Just get ready, get ready, get ready. Do you realize that sorrow increases our capacity for joy? Weeping endures for a season, but joy comes in the morning. And when you've been through a difficult time, when the victory comes, man, you really are appreciative of it, are you not? According to James, the testing of faith perfects us. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Back on child rearing, if our children don't develop patience, it will affect every area of their life, from their relationships to their prosperity to, to, to their having a life of victory. In 1970, a psychologist, Walter Michel, did a classic experiment. You can check it out online. It's all over the place. He led a succession of four-year-olds. He, he left a succession of four-year-olds in a room with a bell and a marshmallow. If they rang the bell, he would come back and they could eat the marshmallow. If, however, they didn't ring the bell and waited for him to come back on his own, they could then have two marshmallows. In videos of the experiment, you can see the children squirming, kicking, hiding their eyes, desperately trying to exercise self-control so they can wait and get two marshmallows. They would smell the marshmallow. They would stick their tongue out and touch it on the marshmallow. Their performance varied widely. Some broke down and rang the bell within a minute. Others lasted 15 minutes. The children who waited longer went on to get higher SAT scores. They got into better colleges on average and better adult outcomes. The children who rang the bell the quickest were more likely to become bullies. They studied these kids throughout their educational upbringing. They were more likely to have drug problems at age 32 because they had not developed uh, patience, deferred gratification. Michelle concluded that children must be taught that it pays to work and wait toward the future instead of living in the now. Learning to persevere pays off. We live in an eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die culture. And Crown Ministries predicted, I mean, just a few, year, few years from now, 60% of Americans will be bankrupt because of this foolishness that we have in our culture. So God is burning that out of us by allowing us to go through difficulties. Go through tough times. The better question we should ask is this. 
What should we remember when bad things happen? You know, Christianity is a religion that has the command that says to remember. Remember this and remember that. Well, I'm going to share with you this morning five things that if we'll remember them, they will help us. And they all five I've derived from Romans 8. Number one, remember who you are and your future glory. There's more to you than meets the eye. You do not see what we shall be, for in the end we shall be like Him. Amen? Romans 8, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. God is grieved by what He sees in the earth. But if we'll endure with his enduring, there is victory coming for us all. Amen? We are heirs of God. You are already a multi-billionaire. It just doesn't look like it. (laughs) Six Flags is just a playground for you. Remember the story is not over and how it ends is what matters the most. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared. They're not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. This waiting that we're doing isn't just us waiting. Creation's waiting. The Holy Spirit is waiting. We're not alone in our waiting. Number three, remember our world has been subjected to futility by God so that people will put their hope for a better world in Him. Read this verse in various translations. State it out. That's what I believe it's saying. For the creation was subjected to futility. Say that together. The creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly. Creation didn't want to. But because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So deliverance is coming for more than just us. Now, you could view this. God hopes that people will turn to him. And so in hope he subjected the earth to futility. I think he subjected it to futility for hope. The prepositions in the Greek work either way. For the sake of hope that people would put their hope in him for a better day. If this was heaven, people wouldn't change. But it's in view of the better day that's coming. This world is just painful enough for us to look forward to that city whose builder and maker is God to join in with the champions of faith, Abraham and others, that look for that better day. Creation was subjected to futility by God. God has done it. He subjected it. That's why all this chaos is happening. I don't know if they can fix global warming. I don't know that your car is, is the reason for it anyway. I don't know. I don't know. 
For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs until now. Not only that, we also have the fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. The older you get, the more the groaning of creation will become your portion. Thank God our spirits have been reborn and our minds are being renewed. But one day our bodies are going to be replaced. And all the 80-year-olds said, hallelujah. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Thank God for the tastes of heaven that we get. Thank God for the signs and wonders and miracles and healings that we have seen in the lives of the people in this community. But all that is just a foretaste of the better day that's coming. There'll be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain. I grew up in churches that were very heavenly minded. We sang about heaven all the time. Shout and ran the aisles and did the helicopter. Woo! But I think the pendulum swung a little too far the other way. We, we, we focused on it too much. We became escapists. I went to one church that had a rapture drill. <laughs> Poor people, they couldn't get any higher than a Maasai. They had to come back down. Gravity was not suspended for them. But I tell you what, we better not swing the pendulum so far the other way that we forget that there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. Amen. A reward to receive. It gives us hope when trouble comes our way. Amen. Number four, remember the Holy Spirit has come to help us in our weakness. He doesn't come to prevent our struggles. He comes to help us in the midst of our struggles. Likewise, the Spirit helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So the Holy Spirit's praying for us. Later on in chapter 8 of Romans, it talks about Jesus praying for us. I mean, God's on our side. More is going for us than is going against us. With groanings that cannot be uttered. You ever experience such tough times? You don't know where to start in your prayer life? You can just go to God and just let, let the tears flow. He cares for you. You are not unloved and you are not unheard. And your faith will pay off in this life and the world to come. Jesus said, no one has lost families or houses or lands for the kingdom's sake who will not receive a hundredfold in this life and in the world to come. The promise of the hundredfold return is not a gimmick for someone to get a bigger offering. Kenneth Hagin wrote his last book before he died called The Midas Touch. 
You will not find it in any Christian bookstore, but it is the truth. He took a lot of those guys to the woodshed and gave them a spanking. Improved mathematically, the hundredfold return is for our entire lives that are given for the gospel. We will receive more than 100 times a $20 bill that you put in some offering plate somewhere. I believe that God blesses giving. He opens the windows of heaven. He blesses faithfulness. But we cheapen it when we don't look at the whole picture. If for the sake of the kingdom you experience the loss of everything, you will be rewarded a hundredfold in this life and in the world to come. An Old Testament example is Job. He got back double everything he lost. Number five, remember all things work together for good according to God's predetermined purpose, which always is to make us more like Jesus. Romans 8, 28. I love this verse. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. In your tough times, you can hold on to the truth. The story's not over. Good is going to come out of this. And ultimately, I am going to be more like Jesus. Because that's what I've been predestined for. A lot of people argue about predestination and foreknowledge and forget the whole, uh, whole purpose of it is to make us like Jesus. It's happening. I said there was five, but there's actually a bonus one. Remember that no matter what happens to us, we will never, say never, never, never be separated from the love of God. Never. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You cannot be a conqueror without a battle. But we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. We fight from a position of victory. Amen? We're not trying to take some fort somewhere. We're advancing the kingdom of God. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, that's in the now, nor height, nor depth, nor things to come, that's tomorrow, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, you cannot talk with, about suffering without covering the base of truth or consequences. There are consequences to choices that we make. You do reap what you sow. God is not to be mocked. And if you're suffering this morning as a result of some poor choice you made, I have a word of truth for you. God still loves you. Amen. God still cares for you. The story for you is not over. It will just be woven into the fabric of your life as a big lesson that you learned. 
So stop beating yourself up. And if you're a Job's comforter, always looking for a reason for somebody to go through a hardship, watch out. You're headed towards judgmentalism. You don't want to do that. That opens the door. That, that, that's, you know, that can cause other consequences. Anytime I face a struggle, I immediately search my heart. Have I judged anyone somewhere inappropriately? We are called to be people of mercy and love and generosity and care and compassion and help those who have fallen and tripped over their own shoes to get back up and keep on going. Nothing, even if it's something we cause, can separate us from the love of God. Hold on to that truth. Nor any other created thing. I mean, he covered all the bases. If I cut my finger off, I'm going to wear a nub. I mean, it's just the way it is. But God's still going to love me. If I get up on this roof and jump off, gravity is not going to be suspended. There will be consequences. But I'm not going to be unloved by God. To me, that's the worst suffering there is for a person not to know that they are loved, that they are treasured, that they are valued. And I want to close this morning with an encouraging word. All of us are loved beyond words. You cannot imagine how much God loves you. The question, why doesn't God do something about all these problems, brings up this truth here. The greatest tragedy of all happened when the human race was separated from God who so loved the world that he gave his only son as the remedy to the worst dilemma that's ever happened when the human race was separated from their God. Jesus came, died on the cross, paid the price so that we could be reunited with God, so that we wouldn't go through this world of futility without hope, without courage, and without and access to power to overcome, to experience healing and health and miracles and provision, while at the same time helping other people struggle and move forward with their lives. Let's pray. Father, I, I don't know all the answers to this question, but I do know that you love us and that the story is not over. And that if uh, to the level that we wait, on a victory, to that same degree and more so, it will be worth it. It will be worth it all when we see you. And so now, Lord, we live in that era of time when we look to you as the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before you, you endured the cross for us. And so, Lord, because of what you did on the cross, we now look to you for the joy set before us. We want to be people of faithfulness to you. And I pray, Lord, if anyone here is suffering as a result of some choice we made, I pray, Lord, that you'd forgive us and we'd receive that forgiveness and move on and stop beating ourselves up. And most of all, Lord, I pray for that person who does not know that you love them and that you care for them. I pray, 